You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Are you ready for the Word of God this evening? Now, we're going to talk about how to study the Bible, part three. And I thought what would be helpful this evening is that we have do some exercises together before we conclude. And I won't hold you that long, but I think that this is going to prove beneficial. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, examining different passages of Scripture. I've showed you twice now how to do chapter analyzations. Do you guys think you know how to do that pretty well? No. No, not yet. <laughs> there could always be more, right? We always learn. Yeah, we could always learn. But I think um, we could do about 20 of those and still not master it. But the more you, you practice, the better, right? And um, But I was asking the Holy Spirit and racking my brain what would be good for number three. So tonight I want to talk to you about different aspects of Scripture, and I want to teach a little bit, and then we're going to get into some exercises. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Um, let me read to you what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse number 10. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So you see right away that you have the Jews, before they believed the Christian message, what they did was they examined the scriptures daily. Now you don't have to look up the Greek word to know what the word examine here means. It means to look at it. It means to take a look at it. Before they believed something, they did it daily. And it says as a result, many of them believed. And... Um, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, it says, Solid food, this is the 14th verse, is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So I think we're starting to see a theme. If you get that door, bro. We're starting to see a theme right here. Examining the scriptures daily in constant practice. You know, there's an there's a old saying my basketball coach used to say. He said, practice doesn't make perfect. We used to say, coach, what are you talking about? Practice doesn't make perfect. I mean, come on. I mean, this is what people say. is perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to practice the right way. Mm-hmm. When you come to the Word of God, you just can't flip it open and say, hmm, okay, I'm reading John today. Okay, John chapter 20, and let me be over here in Ezekiel 47, 37. You know, what are you doing? You're just reading stuff. Um, there is a way to approach the Word of God. And like we just heard in God, the Word that God gave us, that this is going to produce fruit in our life the way we approach it. Amen. Amen. Philippians 1, verse uh, 9 through 11 says, This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. Knowledge and full insight. So the Apostle Paul's prayer was that the believer in the body of Christ would have knowledge and not just insight, full insight, but watch this. It says that if they have knowledge and full insight, they will be able to determine what is best. You ever meet people that just can't determine what's best? They get a choice. Is it A or is it B? And it's clearly A, but they always choose B. This person can't discern their life. And it says, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless. So you'll see right here that knowledge and full insight gives you the power to, to discern. And then if you have the power to discern, it's going to lead to blamelessness and purity in your life. When you see people who are uh, full of faults, 
always living in sin, always messing up. I don't mean falling to one sin, but I mean all day long, messing up, messing up, messing up. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, repeat, repeat, repeat. Just a person that can't discern. And the reason they can't discern is simply because they don't have knowledge and full insight. Or they're just rebellious. Right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern. So I think that we're starting to see a theme here. That God's desire for us as people is to be able to discern. And what controls our discernment is our ability to have full insight and knowledge. Amen. Amen. So the more you study the Word of God, what's going to happen? Your discernment is going to be high. Amen. You can look at someone like, that's the truth. Nope. That's not the truth. This is the truth. That's not the truth. You ever get around people you just know they're liars? You just know. I mean, you don't even have to have them open their mouth. They're lying to you. Deceitful, telling stories, making up stuff. You just know it. Like the fishermen. They say the fish was this big, but you know it was this big. You know what I mean? So write this down if you're taking notes. If we train ourselves to study the Bible correctly, we improve the accuracy of our lives. There's people in life, they're not proficient. They're not accurate. They don't hit the mark. It takes them three or four shots before they hit the bullseye. How would you like to just hit the bullseye one shot, right? Mm -hmm. People with good intentions build their lives upon wrong thinking because they don't know how to approach the Word of God and they do not treat it correctly. And the number one way people wrongly approach the Word of God is thinking they know it all. Thinking that they already understand a verse. The moment you think you understand a chapter in the Bible and a verse in the Bible is the moment you're going to shut it out of your life and you're not going to find out what's really in the Bible. Alright? So, do you ever stop to ask yourself, how can I improve the accuracy of my life? How can I improve the discernment of my life? You know how you do that? How can you improve the way you've been studying the Bible? Who wants to learn how to study the Bible differently? Amen. Okay, I'm just warming up tonight, okay? So if we um, come to understand how people study the Bible, I think it's a fair statement to say that most people study the Bible the way they want to study the Bible. <laughs> right? <laughs> or the way that their pastor studies the Bible. And that's good and great for a little while. But listen, listen, we've got to get to a point where we understand that the way Chris Palmer studies the Bible, the way, you know, whoever the pastor is that studies the Bible, is not the only way to study the Bible. So maybe I teach you how I study the Bible. But guess what? I may teach you what I know now, but five years from now, you say, how do you study the Bible? Well, I got all these other ways to study the Bible. So we should always be looking to study the Bible in a deeper, more profound way to get more deep depth of truth from the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So the way I study the Bible in college, I look at it now and be like, man, I can't believe I was believing that stuff back then and doing this and doing that. And what was I preaching back then? Amen. <laughs> God is patient with us, I think, and I think that uh, um, <laughs> someone sent me an uh, email not too long ago, and they told me something they got out of the Word, and I thought to myself, oh, brother, <laughs> jeez, oh, man, but then I thought about it, and said, you know, I used to think that way, though, I used to think that way, not that I'm better, someone uh, say, well, what do you do when you listen to a sermon, and it's off, you know, I listen, and I Gauge what the person's saying, and I always try to get something out of it. You know what I mean? So we're not going to be arrogant. We might get more powerful the way we study the Word of God, and but that doesn't mean that we don't we just tune people out. You know what I mean? We always we always have a 
good approach to it, and humble approach. Amen. Amen. So if we study the Bible correctly, we'll reap a major harvest of understanding in our lives, and understanding in your life is going to produce power. Every area of your life where you, every area of your life where you lack power, and I by power I mean fruit and result is the area that you most likely lack some type of understanding. And if you're not getting understanding, it's probably because you don't know how to get it. So you see in Scripture that the Bereans examine the Scriptures daily. You'll be surprised how free your life will become if you simply learn how to do this daily. I, the more you study the Word of God, the more you're going to enjoy it. Amen? Amen? It takes constant practice. When I first began Bible study methods, when I was uh, just coming out of high school, <laughs> it was terrible for me because I didn't know what I was doing. And the more I came to understanding, I got more accurate at it and more proficient. And there's mentors of mine. When they pull things together, I'm like, wow. I can't believe I teach Bible's class, right? <laughs> they came in. I'd be a nobody. Stay away from nobody and double tree, please. Don't come by. Because they're going to want to be like, who's Chris Palmer? <laughs> but we all have to be patient with each other. And uh, there's ways of being right and not as deep. Amen? <laughs> um, and, of course, you're going to understand what's best. So, um, before we get into our exercises tonight, are you enjoying this tonight? Yes. I want to take the pressure off of you this evening, because sometimes we come to the Word of God, and the very first thing that we learn and see about the Word of God is that it's just not one book, it's 40, right? 66, no, <laughs> 66, and um, 39, 27, and uh, by, written by 40 authors, that's what I meant. So you come to the Word of God, and you, see, you say, this is a big book. These authors, most of them didn't know each other. They're writing in different time periods. And it's safe to say that you're probably not going to understand everything that's ever been written in the Bible. Is that okay to say that? And you start to learn this is a big book, so how do you approach it? Let me give you seven things real quick that are going to make your mind at ease about the Word of God and, and help you understand what we're studying here, okay? Number one, write this down. Scripture can be understood by anybody. And you say, what do you mean by that? Psalm 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Now, the simple is a naive person. They're often related to a foolish person. A simple person is someone that is, goes hand in hand with a denier of God. So if the word of God can be make the simple wise, can make a fool wise, can make a God-hater wise, who can't it make wise? <laughs> so if a word of God can make the, the foolish person who wants to live in their ignorance wise unto salvation and tell, help them to understand the word of God, then how much more can it do it for a Christian? Or a kid, or a kid that believes in the Lord. So um, if the word of God can make the fool understand, there's no excuse for you have no understanding by the word of God. So we all can understand the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Number two, Scripture is able to be understood, but not all at once. In other words, by tomorrow night, you're not going to have it done. It's a process. And the Word suggests that believers come to a gradual understanding about the things of God, especially His Word. 1 Corinthians 1.13, it says, For we write you nothing but what you can read and understand, and I hope you will understand fully. So it's demonstrated by saying that. It just simply means that there's a process, and he's not talking about the whole Word of God when he's saying that. He means everything that he's writing to them in Corinthians. He hopes they can gradually come to that understanding of what he's fully saying. It's a hope. Um, Acts 15.7 says that after much debate, Peter rose and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made choice among you, 
that by the mouth of Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So it says after much debate. So here you have Gentiles that are being converted into the kingdom of God. And there were Jewish leaders in the church. These people that first received salvation and received the Holy Ghost, they were Jews. And it wasn't until the, the Gentiles started receiving salvation that the Jews had to wrestle with the question, how do we deal with Gentile converts in relation to the law of Moses? This was something they hadn't thought about. This was something that Jesus hadn't addressed them concerning. Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father that's on high. So the Holy Spirit comes, they receive it. And then they think to themselves, now what do we do? We have Gentile converts. So they had to come together and they had to talk it out. And they had to debate how are they going to translate this aspect of Scripture. They didn't know right away. Does it make you feel better that you got to talk things out sometimes? Right? <laughs> that's why we should have places of discussion instead of places of arguing if somebody disagrees with something you're saying there's a reason why they disagree with it listen to them before you give your point amen, amen. okay <laughs> it says in acts 15 25 it seemed it has seemed good to us having come to one accord in other words they decided they agreed upon it but it's logical to believe that if there is one area where there's debate there's probably 500 other more mm-hmm. right okay write this down Scripture is able to be understood, but not without effort. you got to put something in to it. And we have that word that the Lord spoke to us just a few minutes ago, that people that uh, will put effort into it, that God will give to them treasures and jewels of understanding. Amen. It says in Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And understand this as well, that some parts of the scripture are harder to understand than others. Have you ever gotten to John and you're enjoying it? Like, man, this, this is John is just great. It's just wonderful. Oh, I love John. And then someone says, well, what about Ezekiel? I don't know nothing about Ezekiel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't touch Ezekiel. I'm a New Testament guy. Glory to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> what what's Ezekiel about? I don't know. Wasn't it the word of God? Yes. Well, why don't you? I don't understand. I want to know about Jesus. I'm a Jesus guy. That's what it is. I'm a I'm a Jesus guy, and that's all that matters. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, I keep using that excuse. All right. You know what I mean? But it's because Ezekiel is more difficult to understand if you're just picking the Bible up because we're less. Uh, it's more. Uh, it's farther removed from us. And less preached from the pulpits. <laughs> but that might be a good thing because you may have less bad pre-understanding because of that. Second <laughs> uh, Peter three fifteen and 16. And count the forbearance of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unsatable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So Peter is basically saying, you should read my letters because Paul's letters are really hard. <laughs> no, that's not what he was saying, but he did say Paul was difficult, and he is. Scripture is able to be understood, but not without ordinary means. What am I saying by this? This is what I'm saying, that it's a really bad idea to give a new convert a Bible written in another language and tell him to go out in the middle of nowhere and he'll figure it all out. Because no angel of light is going to show and tell him what that all means. Now he may have a visitation from the Spirit of God. He, maybe an angel will appear. I don't know. I don't want to discredit those things. God moves by His Spirit. I'm all into that. But I will tell you this, that uh, He's not going to keep getting visions over and over and over again without using the ways that God wants us to use. There are cults that have started that way. 
right? Okay, I won't name them because it's on podcast. So what do you need? Number one, you need a Bible in your own language. That's a good start right there, okay? <laughs> ESV, KJV, NIV, just get any of these, okay? We get whatever you want, as long as you can understand it, okay? You know, if you, you want to do something really funny, go on BibleGateway.com and look up the Hawaiian Pigeon Bible. It is very funny. Do you, maybe you can find it on your phone. And if you find the Hawaiian Pigeon Bible, I'll read chapters from it. It's extremely, it's just how they talk. It is Jesus and these boys of his, the disciples, his homeboys. <laughs> it's an actual translation and it's pretty accurate from what I understand. It's how they talk. And there's an Abonics Bible. I have one at my house. It's really interesting. But hey, as long as it's close and people are getting born again, it's teaching them what You know, the people down in the inner city, they, they don't talk Shakespeare. we got to move the language into one they can understand and more power to the people that do the translating work. Amen? <laughs> Amen, I agree. I, and I'm not, any Bible that gets people to know Jesus, I'm all for it. Number two is uh, listening to teachers of the Word of God. These are. This is against people that, you know, think that they can just sit at home and have church at home by themselves, and they don't need to. I was one time in a, a coffee shop with a friend of mine, and a guy was sitting there, and he was talking about how he doesn't need teachers, and the Holy Spirit has given the body of Christ to teach the body of Christ and illumination from the Spirit of God, and the Lord has now shown him all this, and he doesn't go to church. And I said, oh, I said, what are you working on? He says, I'm working on a manual. I said, what? And he's like, I'm, I'm working on a manual to get this to the body of Christ, to teach this to them. I said, but you still said we don't need teachers. <laughs> but you're writing a book to teach people? <laughs> then he requested me on Facebook back when I had uh, a personal page. And uh, his profile picture was a pizza. <laughs> With like one slice gone. I'm thinking, okay, I, I know what kind of guy this is. So... <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is reading commentaries and books of the Bible. So not just commentaries, but books that are helpful. Um, awareness of conventional interpretation of the Bible. There are ways that church tradition has uh, traditionally translated aspects of Scripture. You know, when you get to harder parts of Scripture and you want to know what it means and it's contested, you should go back and do some search. You know, if you... Uh, some of you have been to different training groups and from different churches and stuff. There's a Bible school down the street, 80,000 books. You can go in there and look the history of how the early church, the Council of Laodicea, the church fathers, they would interpret a part, passage of Scripture like this, and that's convention. And we like to hold the convention sometimes because we don't just throw out, you know, 2,000 years of church history that we've built ourselves upon. That's how cults are formed. Amen? That's how people get away, just saying everybody in the past is wrong, but now I'm right. So it took 2,000 years for someone to be right, is what you're saying? I don't think so. <laughs> Doesn't sound like God to me. And of course, you need fellowship with others. You'd be surprised at how much being in check, you, how in check getting around other believers will keep you and how unhealthy it is to isolate yourself. People that isolate themselves come up with weird doctrines and stupid ideas about what a scripture means. And when you're around people, it's always the balance, always the balance. You know what I like to do? I'm, I was telling someone this the other day. I'm an intellect. So I have to be, by nature, I'm an intellect. I have to be around spirit-filled, Holy Ghost people all the time because that keeps me in the flow, keeps me moving in the power, keeps me in the things of the Spirit, keeps me praying for the sick, keeps me casting out devils. This is the important part. But there is another side called doctrine. 
that if you are only around those people all the time and you're not around theological minds, you know what starts happening to you sometimes? It just becomes one-sided. It's good to get around people that understand intellectual things about the Word of God. Because when I look at the Apostle Paul, who is always been my hero, I see a guy that understood the demonstration of the Spirit, but was so articulate that he could get up in the school of Tyrannus and teach for two and a half years to philosophers and convert them based upon reasoning and logic. And there was also a muddy demonstration of the Spirit in the city of Ephesus that caused people to be born again, the power of God to manifest. People were brought handkerchiefs and cloths and demons were cast out as a result of that. So I think it's both of them. Amen. Amen. Does that sound fair? Based upon more or less what you like. Um, scripture is not able to be understood. Scripture is able to be understood but not without the reader's willingness to obey it. In other words, in order for you to understand Scripture, you have to be one who practices it and stays out of willful, repeated sin. Because here's what happens when you live in sin. You will lose sound judgment in your interpretation of Scripture and become less and less able to understand Scripture rightly. Because you know what will start to happen. Think about this. And, and this doesn't just apply to the lay people. This applies to pastors and ministers who fall into sin and repeatedly commit the same sin. Do you know what starts to happen? Is they start to look at scriptures in a way to justify the way they're living. And to make this okay. And it's not okay. This is not how you're supposed to be living. So you say, well, you know, you're living heavy in sin. Well, what do you think you're going to do with verses that talk about the grace of God and the love of God? You're going to intensify those verses. And what are you going to do with verses that talk about judgment? You're going to diminish those verses. And guess what's going to start to happen? Well, what about not just a person living in sin? How about someone that has a wrong mindset that's religious? A person that doesn't understand the presence of God. Doesn't understand the heart of God. Guess what starts to happen? Love of God down here. And the judgment of God up here. That's why we have to have a living, active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because for us to really understand the Word of God, we have to know His heart and we have to know Him personally. Amen. Otherwise, this is just a bunch of philosophy, and that's not good enough to cut it. This has to be a living, active God. But I'm all for sharp minds. I believe that you could be a philosopher, but I like to call it having an understanding of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand what He did for you, and be able to articulate it to people. Well, people say, oh, well, you did commit sin. How, how can, you, can you say you didn't commit sin? No, no, no. It was imputed. What's imputation? Imputation is God regarding it as... On Jesus, not on me. How does that fit into this? I want to be able to explain this to people. Because people will ask you. Amen. And when people find a sharp mind, they'll respect you. Yeah. Is that important? Amen. Scripture is able to be understood, but not without the help of the Holy Spirit. I don't, I'm not going to even get into this one because I've written books about this. Scripture can be understood, but not without human misunderstanding. And let me just say this. Just because Scripture is able to be understood rightly, does not mean that Scripture is always rightly understood. Amen? Uh, because of our humanness, we can fail to understand things correctly. Um, and we know that people twist scriptures, but that's why we come to the Word of God with a very humble approach. And that's why we need people to balance things out. And this one is the last but not least. Scripture can be understood, but never completely. Let me explain to you why. Have you ever wondered to yourself, <laughs> when reading the Bible, you, you know, you like I, I think I've used this example before, you know, um, you wake up in the morning, and you read a chapter in the Bible, right? I think Brett and Emily are telling me you're reading Proverbs or whatnot. And someone says, what did you read this morning? You say, I, 
Yeah, I don't know. I read the Bible. Well, what, what did you read in the Bible? I, you can't even remember. But you read a newspaper article before you go to work, and people, you can remember everything that's in that. Oh, I read about ISIS. I read about Hamas. I read about the torture reports. I don't know. And, and do you know what this reporter said? And you know what that reporter says? And blah, blah, and Dick Cheney this. And nah, 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 nah. all sorts of stuff you remember, right? You ever wonder yourself, how come I can remember that, but I can't remember the Bible? Am I, am I the only one? Or has any, raise your hand if that's been you. Do you want to know why this is? I'm going to tell you why this is, okay? Because understanding the Bible is different than understanding a newspaper article or another book that has been currently written in this culture and in this era and this generation. Because the Bible is not a matter of understanding the individual sentences and paragraphs. The way that you understand a newspaper article or, you know, good to great or whatever your favorite book is that you're currently reading. It is a matter of understanding how each verse of Scripture relates to every other verse of Scripture. And how each combination of several verses relates to each combination of several verses or teachings. And how they all relate to every single situation of your life. And not only that, anybody that's writing something presumes that the person they're writing to understands the culture that they're writing in. So I'll... Pick up a newspaper today, and um, some of them say, uh, today the White House correspondents uh, at the presidential uh, breakfast uh, reported to CNN that um, the uh, president uh, was unable to make it because his throat was sore. Poor Obama. And he just got a sore throat. That <laughs> he's okay. Um, did you all understand that? Of course. What did you? What was hard to understand about that? The president has a sore throat. The correspondent from the White House uh, told CNN that he couldn't make it. Did anybody not understand that? Okay, but what if we took someone from first-century Christianity, and they wanted to understand that? Now they'd have a whole paragraph to break down. Well, CNN. Let me tell you what CNN was. CNN was a uh, news organization that came from the 1980s. It was developed by Turner Broadcasting. That was based in Atlanta. Atl oh, what is Atlanta? Well, Atlanta is a city that is in uh, northern Georgia and a uh, population of three million people. And uh, they have the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Falcons, and no, 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 Okay, no, no, no. Okay, and, what, and the White House. What is the White House? What are White House correspondents? Well, the White House is, uh, you know, it was built in uh, the 1700s in George Washington and blah, 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 blah. They don't know anything. So, oh, okay, I get, okay, and now the picture starts to form, right? That would, how hard do you think it would be to read the whole article if you're from first century Christianity? It'd be quite challenging. You don't know what any of these terms are. That's because who was writing it wasn't presuming at that moment that those people were going to read it. And the New Testament, I'm sure that, I don't know if they knew that we'd be reading it nowadays. I don't know if they knew that God would take and choose to make their letters a part of a greater canon to help us understand the Word of God. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But even if they could understand it, do you think they could define things based upon how our culture is today? Of course not. They had hundreds of centuries to fulfill. Okay, so you see why the Bible is a challenge. And this is why you are never going to get it all in this lifetime. Because you don't have that much time to do all that studying. Am I right? <laughs> You got so much time. You got to cook dinner. You got kids. You got you got homework to do. You know, but you can come up with good studies by picking and choosing things. So don't feel bad at this lifetime. You don't get it all because if John Hagee hasn't gotten it all, well then bless God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you this evening 
about uh, how to interpret the Old Testament. Is that okay? And the reason why I want to talk about this is because, before we start doing some exercises, is because the Old Testament is really where a lot of Christians start getting it wrong. Is the way they interpret the Old Testament. Now, there are different ways, there are different genres in the Old Testament. You have law, you have history, you have the history books, you have judges, and you know you have uh, uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, and then you get into the poetry books, you have... Uh, Ecclesiastes, you have Psalms, you have Proverbs, you have uh, Song of Songs. Then you get into the prophetical books, right? Uh, but people really get into messing up the Old Testament. And what has happened in uh, Christianity today is people get bored and they start following all types of Jewish things. Have you ever seen Christians that don't think that God's going to hear their prayers unless they have a prayer shawl on? Have you ever seen Christians that insist on keeping Rosh Hashanah? Have you ever seen Christians that insist that in order to be close to God, they have to follow the ways of Yom Kippur? Or uh, there will be Christians today that are celebrating, uh, that will be celebrating Hanukkah. And you look at them and you ask them if they're Jews, and they're not Jews. Right? So how do you think we should open up and understand the Old Testament? Anybody want to understand this correctly? Because you'll find people today that say, well, you know, we have to keep the Ten Commandments. You say, well, do we have to keep the Ten Commandments? And you say, of course, we keep the Ten Commandments. We follow the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. We don't kill. But we really don't keep the Ten Commandments because the Bible says that thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy, and most of you all on Saturday is going to be out there Christmas shopping. And you're not supposed to walk more than a mile. Some of you all ladies will walk 55 miles in the mall. <laughs> so don't tell me you keep the Ten Commandments. You keep the Nine Commandments. But my God, on Saturday you are not keeping the Ten Commandments. You will be outside of the camp needing a Levite to come cleanse you after your shopping day. So don't tell me we follow the Ten Commandments because you certainly don't. Well, we don't follow. Then you say, well, we cut the fourth one out. You know, bless God, we're in a new covenant. We cut the fourth one out. But who gave you the right to cut the fourth one out? So how do we interpret this? You want to see? Maybe we can have some clarification of this so next time one of these Judaizing Christians comes to you and tells you that we need to eat lakas and spin dreidels on Christmas instead of celebrating, you can say, no, 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 no. Understand this. The very first thing we need to know, very simply. This, could, this is a discussion we could have for a long time. But understand this. The very first thing we need to understand is that there is a difference between the Old Testament and the Old Covenant in the terms that I'm going to use them. Number one, the Old Testament, the way we use it today, is... Does anybody know what the Old Testament is? First 39 books of the Bible. How about that? <laughs> it's not that hard. It's really the first thing you learned this in Sunday school, people. Yeah. Right? Containing narrative, poetry, wisdom, prophecy, history, and law. Right? But what is the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant, in the way that we're referring to it, is the covenant that God made with Moses. When I speak of the Old Covenant... God's covenant made with Moses. Did God make it with you? Were you on Sinai? Were you, were you with the children of Israel when Moses was on Sinai? Are you a Jew? They didn't make it with you. That contains the laws and conditions that God gave Moses on Sinai for the governance of, he of the Hebrews, the Jewish people, Israel, and the promises that he would dwell with them in the various laws and terms of happiness. God, you know, after the Exodus, 
has chosen Israel to be his people. He meets with Moses on Mount Sinai. He tells Moses that he wants to dwell with his people. He promises that in his dwelling with the children of Israel, that he would bless them and make their, them a great nation and bring them into a land that flows with milk and honey. And he said that he would dwell personally with those people and that all nations would fear them because Jehovah Most, God, Most High lives with them. But there is a dilemma, and that is God is a holy God, and they are unsanctified people. So they have to begin to make themselves a people that can uh, have the habitation of the Lord. So God gives to them additional laws, ceremonies, feasts, and uh, all sorts of things that we're going to see in just a second, so that God can dwell in their midst. Does this make sense to anybody? Amen. So Israel, you want God to come. Yeah, we want you to come, God. We want you to dwell in this. Well, you're going to have to build me a place to live. But this can't be, you know, your hut that you live in. It's got to be a special, sanctified, you know, wonderful place. So this is how you're going to... And bam, now we got the book of Leviticus. Build it this high. But, and your people just can't come to me anytime they want. They've got to prepare themselves. So this is how they cleanse themselves. Bam. And not anyone can just come to me. So this is how they're going to have to come to me. But it's going to have to be a high priest. But the high priest just can't come from anywhere. It's going to have to come from one of the houses of Israel. So it's going to come from the Levites. And these Levites can't just be anyone. Can't be a priest and Levite. They've got to have this, this, and that. Can't be blind. Can't be deaf. Can't have a limb. They can't. They've got to be perfect people. They've got to look like a movie star. You know what I mean? They did. They had to look great. They had to be perfect. Um, they had to be this. They had to be that. And oh boy, I tell this if anybody uh, touches a dead body you better put them outside the camp because we can't have people touching dead bodies and going and seeing God now you have all these laws why so God can dwell with his people why because God chose Israel right yeah. this is the old covenant because God chose Moses and God chose Israel and God made a covenant with them the covenant is found in Exodus uh, where is it in my notes no, oh, jeez, I, I I got so much to go through. Just uh, I'll give it to you after class. <laughs> I'll read it, but I, okay. This is the old covenant. Let's go to Exodus thirty-four twenty-six. I want to show you something. <clears throat> Are you enjoying this tonight? Yes. Boy, I hope after tonight, when someone tells you to come observe Yom Kippur, you just <laughs> okay. Say, I, I, I say I'm, I'm a New Testament born again, Holy Ghost filled Christian. I'm going to go worship God in my prayer closet. Amen. Amen. How about that? Hallelujah. I'm going to get a lot farther than you too. <laughs> okay. Exodus 34.26 says, You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Sounds pretty strange, right? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 22.5. Did anybody uh, wake up this morning and think to themselves, now, if I'm at work and there's goat's meat offered to me that's been cooked in its mom's milk, I, I'm not, Lord, I promise you I will not eat it. No. <laughs> Did anybody say that? No. Has anybody ever had goat before? I've eaten goat. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good. Goat curry, it's very good. But I can tell you when I ate that, I didn't ask, uh, how was this cooked? Mm. All right? <laughs> I didn't that thought, hmm, is it smells pretty good. Well, let's, why not try it? Um, here's something, Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman must not wear men's clothes, nor a man wear a woman's clothes. Well, what is man's clothes, what is woman's clothes? I get today, you go to the mall, there's really no style at all, period. I know guys that preach that have earrings. I know women that preach in pants. 
know, that I don't know if that's that men's clothes. Some people think it is. There's a the PAW. Uh, they don't wear. Women aren't wearing pants. I remember that we used to play uh, apostolic school, and they used to come. The cheerleaders used to have pants all the way down, and they used to wear skirts all the way down to all the way down to the ankles. Yeah, it's not pants, skirts all the way down to their ankles. Excuse me, because they can't wear pants. There was one time I was talking to a girl from the apostolic PAW church, and she said. I said, what are you doing now? And real one of those holy than thou girls. And she says, well, I'm, I'm modeling for um, one of these alcohol companies. I says, oh, so you're a liquor model now. She says, yeah, I'm a liquor model. And I says, well, I pray to God they don't ever ask you to wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> you get it as iron, you know, slapping face. Okay. <laughs> but so we would think to ourselves today, oh, well, you know, we're beyond that. I mean, that's the old covenant, right? But what about this? Ludwig is nineteen eighteen. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this this was a part of the old covenant. But you told me the old covenant is done away with. But you're telling me love your neighbor as yourself. So which one of these are valid, and which one of these do we ignore, and which one of these do we skip over? Now, it's not hard to figure out which ones we keep and which ones we don't. But wouldn't it make more sense to you? Wouldn't it bring more peace of mind for you to have a reason why you're skipping over some and why you're selecting others? Yes. Would that be helpful? Yes. I mean, do we just underline the ones that make sense to us in today's world? Be like, well, this one's I can see how I can do this, but now nah, I can't do this. And uh, my husband likes it when I wear... Uh, polyester uh, and cotton. This shirt is, uh, he likes it when I wear this shirt. It's polyester and cotton, so I can't keep this one, but I, I can keep this one, right? I mean, you can't. You, that's, that's not that's inefficient, right? The traditional approach that most people really go by, that most people will tell you today, and I find it inefficient, is that uh, we boil the laws down to three moral, civil, and ceremonial laws. That we look at the law of Moses contained in it, all the ordinances and additional laws of God's presence. And we look at the moral laws, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not cheat, you know, on, you know, commit adultery and you know, so on and so forth. As timeless truths regarding God's intent for human behavior. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then they look at that as something for today. These are timeless, I mean, we have to keep them. Then they look at civil ones. Those are part of a country's system. This is part of nation Israel's legal system, like the year of Jubilee. Every seven years you give the land back to the people. Well, we don't do that. Every seven years you let your land rest. Why did they let their land rest? Why did we have a Sabbath? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons for a Sabbath. To show you trust God, to show that it's in God's strength, blah, blah, blah. And uh, but that's, that's part of what they do as a government, a society. So we don't keep those because we're not Israel, right? And then they say ceremonial, those that deal with death, sacrifices, festivals, and preach the activities. The Feast of Tabernacles. And so they can divide these up and say, we're only going to keep the moral ones, right? But there's a problem with this. And here's the issue. The disconnections between the moral, civil, and ceremonials are very ambiguous and almost at random the way we select them. Is this okay? Is this too intellectual for you tonight? Um... Leviticus 19, verse 8 through 9. Let me show you this. This is what I mean. Leviticus 19, 18 through 19. It says, Neither shall thou take a wife to her sister to vex her. Excuse me, that's 18, 19. 
Okay. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love the Lord. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord your God. Then look what it says right after. Keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let your cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow your field with mingled seed, and neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. So right after God tells them, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, don't wear a garment that has two different types of material in it. And I'm going to tell you right now, these shirts that my team are wearing, they, we'd all be in big trouble. Because they're not 100% cotton. they got all sorts of stuff in it. They'd be in trouble. So, uh, who gives us the permission to say, well, let's just separate it right here. So it's hard to determine a lot of times the, the, how a law falls into, uh, if a law falls into a moral category or if it falls into one of the other ones. I'll give you an example. Leviticus 19.19, uh, we just read it. It says, do not plant your field with two kinds of seeds. Right? Mm -hmm. I can tell you that if that was the case, I would be in trouble in the summer of 2012 because I planted peppers and tomatoes together right there on my porch. Oh. Now, I'm in some serious trouble. So, the matter that's being dealt with, the reason God would tell him this is because of God's holiness and a separation from profane things. So, God wants his people separate. So separation, is that a civil matter? No. Is it a ceremonial matter? No. Basically, it's a moral matter. So we just said that moral things are for today. So now we have a problem. Because this really is a moral law. Because the reason why God told him to do it was His holiness. So if you want to separate into moral, civil, uh, and governmental, and uh, ceremonial, now you have an issue. Because this planting of seeds is a moral issue. So what are we going to do with it? How else is there a better way of interpreting this? So the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, instruction, correction, and training in righteousness. The Old Testament is valuable. We're not trying to throw it out. We're not trying to say that we disregard. I know Christians that want to get rid of the whole Old Testament. You know how terrible such a thought is? The Old Testament is inspired by the Most High God. Yeah. It's been given to us. That's right. But the problem is we do not apply it the correct way. Yeah. And it becomes a burden for us. So do you see how important Bible study methods are? Mm -hmm. Now we're confused. Now we're using the Old Testament in a way that we shouldn't use it. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know how to apply it. And you know what it will start doing? It will start loading you down instead of building you up. Because mm -hmm. you lack wisdom. Amen. Amen. Let me give you what I believe is the best way to interpret Old Testament law in particular. We've been talking about context, have we not? How to look at context things. This is going to help you now when you get around Judaizers. Okay? We see the story of Israel and Abraham all the way up into Israel's history go from, without going into Chronicles, which is a summation of Samuel and, 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 uh, and Kings, it goes from Genesis chapter 12 to 2 Kings chapter 25. This is Israel's and the children of Israel's history. Then you're going to start getting into prophetic books, which are during the time, like, for instance, uh, Jeremiah is during the time of the Babylonian exile. Daniel is during the time of 
the, 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 when, uh, when Babylon comes in and sacks them and Daniel's taken captive in Babylon. So these are all during those times. So now you have a context you're working with. And you'll start to see that the law is not presented anywhere in the Bible as a timeless theological source. It is part of a theological narrative that describes how God delivered Israel from Egypt and established, established them in a land in the, uh, of promise as His people. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say to you is that the law of Moses is in a context. And not only a context, it is in a narrative context. It is a detail, maybe a large detail, that is part of a large story. The law itself was a fine detail, a very specific, very powerful, very meaningful detail inside of the Old Testament story. So, the Ten Commandments and the laws that follow are just simply part of Israel's story. And uh, you'll see that the law is in the, when Moses received the law, it's part of a story. You just write this verse down, you know, you'll see that um, in Leviticus, it contains uh, Leviticus 8 10, it says, Moses took. So fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. Uh, you'll see how these are just part of the story. Moses is receiving the law from God. Moses is writing it down. Just because he puts the law in a place does not mean he's not and has ceased to tell the story. And so numbers, uh, so you'll understand covenant context. That the Old Testament is firmly embedded into the story of Israel's exodus, wanderings and conquests, and we must take this into account when we interpret it. So when you look at the law, you cannot just pull the law out of the Old Testament without understanding that this is part of the story. Do you understand that? It's part of Israel's story. And it's not part of your story. It is to a great degree because, yes, we did come from Israel, but that doesn't mean we do everything they did, especially, we're going to see in just a minute, if somebody else came along and interpreted it differently for us. Because you'll find out that rabbis made good practice of taking the law of Moses and interpreting it the way that they thought it was intelligently supposed to be interpreted for their day, similar to how we interpret the Bible now. Rabbis were given great ability and great power to interpret the law of Moses. Um, let me just uh, let me skip to this real quick, okay? Write this down if you're taking notes. I'm trying to see if I want to give you all this because we have. Okay. Jesus is the final interpreter of the law. And the authority over every meaning of the law. It says in Scripture that Jesus in, in Matthew five seventeen came to fulfill the law. What did this mean when he came to fulfill every righteous decree that's in the law? What Jesus is simply meaning is that he came to bring the law. And when I mean law, I don't mean old covenant now. 
Old covenant is the covenant God made, the promise that includes the conditions. I'll bless you, that bless thee, and curse on the curse you. That was made to Israel, though. Deuteronomy 28. These blessings shall overtake thee. Thou shalt eat it. That was made to Israel. We have a new covenant. We, I, listen, I, I thank God for confessing Deuteronomy 28, but let me tell you something. Yours is better. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You can stick to that, but you don't have this and not, every blessing shall come on you. No, 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 no. You, you, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, it's all or nothing here, people. It, you will get confused if you go back in there. He, they, they didn't even know Christians and Jesus back then. They knew the Messiah, but that was it. You will confuse yourself. Okay? Listen, Jesus came to bring the law to its intended meaning. And He had the final say of what the law of Moses meant. And so Jesus did some interesting things. Matthew 19, verse 18. Jesus, number one, restated some laws. You must not murder. You must, you must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are those things we do today? Yep. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, guess what? Jesus restated those as pertainable to today. He interpreted it. Yeah, this is, we must do this. But then again, there are some laws that Jesus modified. Jesus comes along and says, You've heard it said that a man can, can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written note of divorce. But I say unto you that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery also. I'm not going to get into the divorce question now, but it seems to me that Jesus is saying that this law should be modified now. And then some laws, Jesus intensifies. You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say to you, even if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call him an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You've even heard it said that you must not commit adultery. But I say unto you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust already committed adultery in their heart. What sounds more difficult for you now? To commit adultery or to have lustful thoughts in your heart about a married woman? And the reason he probably said it was because he knew the people we were saying it to were doing just that. So the rabbi comes along intensifying these laws and saying, it's not enough. There's more. Well, what gives him the right to do that? Well, when you become the son of God, you've got a lot of rights. <laughs> Who's greater, Jesus or Moses? The book of Hebrews chapter 1 will tell you that Jesus is Moses. God who in sun-dry, in sun-dry times in diverse places spoke to us by His prophets, has now in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. In other words, take everything Moses says and put it in subjection to what Jesus is saying because if Jesus, re, Jesus is the one authority who can come along and revise Moses. That's right. That's right. How about that? Yes. Is this making sense to you now? Yes. There are some laws that Jesus comes along and He changes them. He doesn't just intensify them, He just changes it all together. You've also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must not carry out vows to make to the Lord. But I say to you, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven. Don't say by earth. But, you know, he said, you've, you've, you've heard it said that the law, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the, the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. 
Give those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Change the law completely. And then, there are some laws that Jesus revokes entirely. It's not what goes into your body that defiles it. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Don't you understand? Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. So you're not going to be in trouble if you eat ham this Christmas. <laughs> or shrimp. Or shrimp, or lobster, or chicken, or you can go eat a rat if you want it. God ain't going to care. You may get sick, but if you like rat, my God. <laughs> Knock yourself out. <laughs> Just don't talk to me afterwards. I ain't smell your breath. Amen. Yeah. Hey, if you're gonna eat rat, I mean, some people gotta eat rat. Some people in the underground church in China, I don't know. Maybe that's all they got. But I'll tell you this: whatever you eat, it's clean. It may not be healthy, but it's clean in God's eyes. <laughs> may put you in a sugar coma, but by God. It's <laughs> I had a donut right before class that says, thank God for we're no longer under that law. <laughs> <laughs> so we must understand the Old Testament through the grid of New Testament teaching. The value of the Old Testament. What is the value of the Old Testament? It is part of the Word of God and we should study and seek to apply all of it. But the law no longer applies to us as terms of a covenant that we don't have any longer. So if we're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant, what makes you think the laws of the terms of that covenant are even applicable? They're not. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.